0: This is the Young Professionals Podcast, proudly brought to you by Adapt Careers, where we speak with young professionals to understand what they do in their roles day-to-day, how they got there,
1: and what they've learned along the way. My name is Luke Marriott. And I am Nicholas Sargent, better known as Sarge, and we are your co-hosts. Sarge, what do our listeners need to do? To stay up to date and support what we're doing, please subscribe, like the episode, and leave a comment on any of our social channels. We can't wait to hear from you.
0: Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Young Professionals Podcast. Sarge, who are we speaking with?
1: Look, today we're speaking with Maddie Steele. Maddie is a registered nurse and midwife working in a tertiary hospital in Melbourne. Immediately after high school, Maddie enrolled in a double degree of Bachelor of Nursing and Bachelor of Midwifery at Monash University. After completing her second year of studies, Maddie took a gap year to travel the world before returning to complete her final two years of uni. Maddie graduated in 2018 with the dual qualification of registered nurse and registered midwife, which she is putting into practice in her current role. Maddie is passionate about providing women from all backgrounds with evidence-based information, so they are supported and empowered during their individual pregnancy journey through each of their antenatal, intrapartum and postpartum periods. Maddie, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, thanks for coming on. And and thanks for giving us those those hard to pronounce words at, at the end of your bio. That's um it's me off a little bit. You I was gonna say well, well, well done on pronouncing that, Sash. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um to jump straight into it, what is it and maybe it's a little bit of a silly question from a nursing perspective, but what is a nurse and particularly what is what is a midwife and what do you do?
2: Yep, so um as a nurse, which I haven't worked in for like the specific nursing role for about a year, but um, we provide, you know, people with care who are in hospital. So their day-to-day care, if they need, you know, blood's taken, dressings changed, um, things like that, depending on the ward, we'll look after them. Um, And then a midwife is kind of which where my more expertise is, um, we provide people, it's very different every day. So we can be working in a range of different areas. So the intrapartum, uh, sorry, the um, antenatal period, like what we were saying before is um, so we'd see people who come in to us when they're pregnant. So that's while they're pregnant and, mainly that's through clinics. So at the moment with COVID, it's um, about half telehealth and half face-to-face and we'll kind of check up with them how their pregnancy is going, if they've got any concerns. You know, we'll make sure that all their bloods are done and um, that anything that's abnormal in their bloods is picked up. We'll make sure that they've got all their scans booked in, that their scans were normal or anything that needed follow-up needs follow-up or gets followed up. And also to make sure that, you know, their baby's growing and that the mum's staying healthy throughout their pregnancy. Then the next area that we can kind of work in is called Pregnancy Assessment Unit. So that's where women come in if they've got any concerns during their pregnancy or if they think they're going into labour and we'll kind of assess them there. It's almost like an emergency for pregnancy and we'll assess them there and see if they need, you know, extra care during their pregnancy as a result of that if they might need to be admitted to hospital while they're pregnant. Or if, um, if they are going into labor and we can say awesome, time to go to birth suite or something like that. Then the next area that we work in is birth suite. So looking after women while they're labouring and then delivering their babies and and uh, is quite self-explanatory that part. Um, and that's that's kind of the, the well-known area of midwifery, I would say, the more famous area is actually delivering the babies. And then postnatal, so once they've delivered the baby, they'll have, you know, around three hours on birth suite and then they'll get moved to the postnatal ward. And so on that ward, we help them establish breastfeeding. We make sure that they're recovering from the birth well, that they, you know, whether we will assess whether they need to be linked in with anyone else. So like a physio or um, if, you know, if they've got diabetes, if they need to see um, and endocrinologists to sort out their blood sugars after pregnancy and things like that. Um, and then we help them, you know, get prepared to go home and into the world with their baby. And then as well, midwives come and visit you once you're home to make sure that, you know, your breastfeeding is all going well and you're sleeping well and everything like that.
1: So yeah, that's kind of an overview. <laughs> that sounds pretty specialized. Um, what, like, do you work across all those areas in the hospital or does does a midwife specialise in one area and then maybe only chip into the other areas when needed?
2: Yeah. So at the moment, I am working across all the areas, um, and and actually just the the going home with people after we do in a few years. But for as a junior midwife, so I've been working for two years. We kind of they like you to work across all areas. It gives you good experience and you get better understanding for the separate areas if you can see the continuity. Um, After a few years, people can choose to specialise. They can also, midwives can choose to go down the research pathway, so being involved in more research or specialise in one area. So some people might say, cool, I'm just working birth suite now or now I'm just working the ward or might want to um, really specialise in, you know, helping people with becoming like a lactation consultant, so just helping people with breastfeeding. But that's kind of once you've had a few years' experience in all the areas, then people tend to specialize after that.
0: Before that, do you want to just explain how you get into a job at a hospital like where you're at now? Is it is it a more formal kind of graduate style program or is it more of a placement while you're at uni? Do you want us to just run through how you actually get your foot in the door?
2: Yeah. So while you're at uni, um, your university will organize placements. So you have to do a certain amount of placements over the four-year degree that mine was, or if you're doing, you can do a single de- degree in midwifery and that's a three-year degree. Um, so your uni will organize placements at different hospitals through that time. Um, and you'll make contacts that way. Um, and then at the end of uni, it's kind of like similar to the VCA applications to unis. So you put in your preferences for hospitals and then you apply to those hospitals. And then you, if you are lucky enough, you get an interview. So you can only apply to four public hospitals or as many private hospitals as you want and then you can get interviews at those places and then you submit your rankings of what you would prefer and then they submit their rankings and then it gets put in a computer system and you will find out on the same day if you've got a job and where yeah
1: and what what are the what are the pros and cons of, of of both sides of the coin being that the public and the private sides
2: yeah so the public side is very much midwifery run run. So um we work in conjunction with the obstetricians and we're kind of a like one big team. So I know what, what's
1: an obstetrician?
2: Oh sorry, an obstetrician is the doctors that look after women yeah. during their pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um so in the public hospital, it's very much where most hospitals now I think so they have teams. So this so say your team is yellow team or something and um and there's a certain amount of doctors in that team and a certain amount of midwives and it's very midwifery run and you work together with the doctors um private hospitals are the individual doctors so individual obstetricians working there like you would for another type of doctor like if you were going to see an orthopedic surgeon to get your knee fixed or something you and um pregnant women see that one doctor throughout their pregnancy, they probably might not see a midwife at all or maybe just see a midwife once during that pregnancy mm-hmm. and then they would only really see the midwives when they come in for, for labour. The midwives look after them during the labour and then the doctor comes in and delivers the baby. And then on once they've had the baby in private, you it is it is more similar on the ward so you're, the midwives still look after them and um, make sure they're breastfeeding well and everything on the ward and they uh, cared for, they, they've got kind of like one doctor that's ahead of their care rather than a team looking after them in private. Yeah.
0: Mad, something that we really like to kind of explore with different roles is uh, the differences between what you expected the job to be like when you're say at school or coming through uni and what it actually is like once you get into industry. Do you yeah. want to talk to some of the kind of the good and, and the bad things that are different to what your expectations were before you got in there?
2: Yeah. So I kind of had no idea what a midwife was at all when I was in school. Like I think a lot of people, you know, most teenagers haven't really had to deal with someone having a baby or looking after people having babies at all um, when, when they're in school. So I kind of wasn't really sure and got into, got into the degree that was a double with the nursing. So I was like, oh, I may as well do it. And um, so my expectations, I didn't really have many expectations of it. I kind of thought that doctors did most of, of the care for women. I didn't realise that in public, um, especially pretty much it's, it's the midwives doing, you know, the majority especially of normal pregnancies, like people who are well during their pregnancy. So I think that was a big shock to me that, you know, if you're well during your pregnancy, you might see a doctor once, like the whole time from when you get pregnant to when you go home. Um, and that midwives have a lot of autonomy. I kind of, we're not so much like, you know, like obstetric nurses or anything. We've got a lot of say and a lot of autonomy and, um, which is great. Something that I really like. I like being able to say, I think this person has this and let's do this. Um, the, what I think I, then once I worked out what, or found out what midwifery was, I kind of, it's like oh it's awesome we get to go and you know cuddle babies and deliver babies and it's like a pretty fun job i don't think i realized quite how hard work it was like some days it's great and you do get to cuddle babies um but other days it's like you will be working from the start of your shift till late like part part you'll be working after hours and you might not get a break you might not get to go to the toilet that whole time um which isn't they're trying to get that better but it is a bit of that environment it's really hard to leave someone when you when she's in pain and having a baby and you can go oh I just need to go have a cup of tea like it's it is hard to do that um so I think that's one thing that I didn't expect the other thing that was isn't talked about much at all kind of in life is um the rate of like there is quite a high rate of stillbirth in and even in Australia so one in 135 women will have a stillbirth and which doesn't sound that high, but it is still quite common. Like we have, we, I would say that a lot of the time, most days we have someone having a stillbirth at, at our hospital and our hospital we do see them more frequently than average because we're a high-risk hospital, but it is something that happens and isn't really talked about, you know, in society. And that's something that I don't think I was prepared for until I got into the workplace and it was something that I was like, like hang on. I now, you know, I'm 23 years old, and I'm trying to support someone who's lost their baby. Like how I've got no experience in that, so you kind of need to work out other ways to to work through those situations and support. Just those on babies. that, how, yeah. how
1: do you, how do you adapt to that? Like, and and maybe come with a question from when you when you do a job, you there's many things that you don't actually know about the job. So like when you when you get to the job and you find something that is a bit weird or different to deal Mm -hmm. with how do do you think one can position themselves best to deal with that
2: so I think I did lots of reading and like listened to as many interviews as I could on women from women who'd experienced that and gone through it and it's also about you know your people skills so like which I think is very similar to most jobs like you've got like we can walk into that room and someone going through that experience will have a completely different experience to someone else going through the same experience. So it's kind of very much about people skills. You walk in and it's the same as someone having a baby who hasn't died, who's a, who's alive. You walk in the room and go, okay, you've got to be able to kind of read them and assess their situation. And, and I think the biggest thing is as well, not, not being sympathetic, but being empathetic. So you, you're there to look after this person and to facilitate as the best possible outcome in the situation that they have. So you've got to, you. so no one wants to be felt sorry for in that situation. People want to be looked after and shown how to best, you know, deal with that situation in the way that suits them, I guess. So it's very much about people skills.
0: Are there any specifics that you can uh, talk to that, Um, you know, you can, you can get super granular in this in terms of the way that you would approach a situation like that. And and the context Mm -hmm. behind that question is we spoke to a, uh, a a doctor who, um, I don't think it's been released yet, but might might be, um, (laughs) by the time this one comes out, but he spoke a a lot about that bedside manner and how to, um, really develop that. And it's often the small things like sitting down next to the patient that you're talking to and things like that. Like, are there little things that you do that make that, uh, I guess, encounter better for everyone?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing that I do when I walk into a room is we get this thing called handover. So from the staff looking after that person in the shift before you, they then hand over everything about that person. And what I say to the woman, when I walk in is you guys, you're involved in this too. So if we've missed anything, or if you want to include anything, let me know. And then after we've got the handover, so that normally goes for five minutes, um, I say to them, okay, you know, what, what do you want me to know? Like, what do you want to get out of today? Like this is, and so that they feel like they have a say and control in their care. Um, what might be, you know, one person, their ideal birth might be a cesarean and just like no labor, cesarean, and then another person, their ideal birth might be no pain relief, you know, doing it all natural and everything, and then everything in between. So there's no ideal birth for one person. So I guess letting them tell you what works for them, and then saying, okay, cool, so I'm going to try and facilitate that for you. Um, and also educating them on, you know, the realisticness of that expectation and and kind of saying, okay, cool, so I know you want, you know, no pain relief and maybe no monitoring during your birth, but these are the reasons why we would recommend something else. So kind of really tailoring that to what they want and making sure I'm aware of their wants and at every point making sure that they know why everything is being you know, why we're recommending things. So rather than just saying, oh, you need to do this now, saying this is what's happening and so we would recommend this, but what do you think? And making sure that the woman is always kind of in charge. It it sounds
0: like it's even going like a, a level above you really know your stuff, but it's putting your confidence to know that stuff, but in the context of being told what the desired outcome is and then giving your best advice to make that desired outcome the most comfortable that it, Can be like it's going above and beyond being the subject matter expert, and then having to kind of like mold that to what someone else wants.
2: Yeah, definitely. So the word midwife actually means with women, so it's very much it's very much on that. And we talk about that as midwives all the time. Is it's not about us. Like as soon as I'm in the room, like all my thoughts, my opinions, everything just goes out the door, and it's all about that. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, that woman's opinions and what she wants, and then just giving her the information to make the decisions to get there. Really? Um, like I'm an information source. Once I'm in that room, I'm not, I don't have opinions or anything like that.
1: Did someone tell you you had to think that way or did you have to kind of learn that yourself?
2: Um, a little bit of both. Like it is something that's very kind of ingrained into you when you're a student, but I also think it's kind of part of the job. Like no one, like you kind of need to think like that to be able to, um, so you know, do this job. Because I think if, if you walked in and said to a woman, this is how we have got to do it. This is what we're doing. She'd just say, nah, get stuff. Like, like no one wants to be told what to do. It's the most important day of their life. And you know, you've got to make it about them. Like we're not really important once we're in that room. And I think, yeah, I think you'd work it out pretty quickly if no one told you as well.
0: <laughs> I think it's an important perspective that anyone, anyone in kind of any service industry at all can really take on. It's like, it's, it's about the, you know, in, in your case that the client or the customer or whatever yeah, is the person yeah. that's giving birth. It's like this interaction is about them, not necessarily about you.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, but just before we jump back to kind of your, uh, you know, education journey and getting into the, into the studies, do you want to just take us through what a day in your life looks like? Say, and in, in terms of real kind of um, intricacies in terms like what, what time does the shift start? How long does the yep. shift go for? What, what, what's your kind of weekly load look like?
2: Yeah. So she's going for eight and a half hours. Um, So they'll either start at set and you've got to get there a little bit before the start. Um, But so they'll either go from 7am till 3.30pm, 1pm till 9.30pm or the night duty, which is 10 and a half hours. So 9pm till 7.30am. So they're the three shifts that we work in clinic. We work, it's more like eight till four which is quite nice to have once a week <laughs> um, and we can work any day of the week 24 hours a day seven days a week you know every day of the year so I get we get our roster about two months in advance and we kind of just work around that so I think our hospital tries to give us um, two weekends off a month so I kind of work about half the weekends um, in and that's kind of in terms of my shift how my are you, shift are you
1: eight, eight shifts a fortnight because my yeah, sister's a nurse so, yeah. and that's her her um program
2: yeah so eight shifts a fortnight which um most i would recommend for most people um it's shift work is a lot different to nine to five where you know you get exhausted sometimes you'll get home at 10 thirty at night and need to leave again at five thirty the next morning um and you're on your feet all day so Eight shifts a fortnight is, works really well. Some people work less and then some people go up to full-time. Um, I'm still at 0.8. I thought about going up to full-time during COVID and now now that we can see friends again, I kind of like that social life balance. So I think I'll stay point 0.8. Um, but, yeah, and then when I get to work, so depending on where I am, um, main, I'll talk about this week because that's kind of the area that I'm Incidentally, finding myself most of the moment, so I'll get there. You'll get a handover for every woman that's in birth suite. Um, so that's kind of the first fifteen minutes of your shift. You with your whole team that's on that afternoon or that morning.
0: How many patients are in on birth suite in, in any given day?
2: Yeah, so in our hospital, we have we've just expanded to twelve beds. Um, so there will be full then plus there'll be the people who are kind of waiting to come in. Um, the one thing so. The thing with birthsweet is sometimes everyone will go into labor at the same time, and then sometimes there might not be that many people in labor. Yeah, so
0: worst nightmare, it means you have more, more patience too.
2: Yes, yeah. So sometimes it, it will get to the start of a shift and we'll go, Oh, there's like no one here, and then you know, 20 minutes later, we will have had 10 people calling up saying they're in labor, and um, it's all systems go so. Yeah, so it's it can be a bit unpredictable. You've got to be able to adjust quite quickly, and then you might be so on way, you would then go and meet the woman, get that handover, like I was talking about before, and um, stay with them while they're having a baby and support them through labor, whatever they want, pain relief wise, and how they want to do it, and then deliver the baby and then get them over to the to the ward um, so that they can have their postnatal care. Um, a shift on the ward is slightly different. You get your hand, over you'd have four patients, um, not including the babies. So you'd have, and you get your handovers at the start of the shift. I kind of like to take 15 minutes to make sure I know what's going on, look through everyone's bloods, everyone's results. And then a shift on the ward is basically a lot of supporting breastfeeding or and making sure that people have appointments to follow up. We're kind of, we really liaise with all the allied health on the postnatal ward, making sure that women are seen by lots of different people and and i would say i almost feel a bit like a case manager sometimes um on the ward making sure that people are seen by lots of people yeah
1: oh, it's, it sounds like a pretty pretty exciting place to be
2: yeah it's great
1: <laughs> just jumping back a few steps or to, to where what you studied so you studied your bachelor of nursing and midwifery at the same time yeah my understanding is that that's uh Quite a good, it's a good degree in the sense you get a lot of practical experience. Do you want to talk yeah. to what studying those two degrees was like?
2: Yeah. So it was great. So in the first year, most of our, um, our class time was at uni. So we didn't have a whole lot of placements. I think we only had two weeks. Um, second year, I would say it was almost split in half from memory, <laughs> trying to remember back. So I did what's called an integrated placement. So I did three days a week at uni and two days a week at a hospital um, for most of second year. And then you have extra placements. So in uni holidays, you'd be on placement as well at a hospital. Um, so it's very full on second year, managing all the placements and everything. And then third year is quite similar. And fourth year is kind of consolidating everything at uni and, and then also having placement. So it is a balance. It's, it's full on. We do, we have a lot of contact hours, the, the double, um, so kind of five days a week, you're you're either at uni or on placement.
0: Yeah, Matt, a, a lot of people that have come on have spoken about the, uh, I guess, importance of getting practical experience through like a part-time job or even a full-time yeah. job when they're at uni because they can balance that with their workload. Like, yeah obviously you get placement through through your degree and that kind of solves that problem. but do you want to talk a bit about how you kind of balanced your, your 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 uni life balance and and work and and friends and and all of that during a degree that is quite demanding of your time?
2: Yeah, so I worked I had two part-time jobs while I was at uni, so one of them was at um, in nursing home so I worked for an agency as what's called a p PSA so i'd go into the, into nursing homes and help, you know, washing patients and, um, you know, helping them eat their meals and things like that. Did you have
1: to do a course to get qualified to do that?
2: No. So being a nursing student, you're, that kind of gives you the qualifications once you finish your first year. Yeah. And that was great because it was casual work. So I could pick up shifts when I had time. So a lot of them would be on a Sunday or a Saturday. Um, And So that was really good flexibility wise and great learning experience. Like going into it, I, I think, which I think is the attitude that most people have going into nursing. It's like, Oh, don't know if I want to do aged care, but it was great. Like old people are way more interesting than young people. Like they've got like 90 years experience. And no filter. They don't care. Exactly. It's great. (laughs) And and I mean, some of them might not be true stories. Like they make up a lot, but it's great. Like you learn so much from them and the people skills that you learn from them and Mm you know, learning to care for like, we're all going to end up there. Like hopefully mm. you can't, you hope <laughs> end up there actually.
0: There's been a few people that said that actually, it was Matthew Colartis of the podiatrist that we spoke to. He did yeah. kind of, he, he cut his teeth in or cut his feet rather in, in, yeah. in kind of um old people's homes. And he said that that was the place where he really learned how to yeah. really be empathetic with someone that you don't have a lot of um commonality with. Uh, yeah. is that, is, did you find that?
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I'd never, I mean, your grandparents you talk to and they're your grandparents and it's great, but it's very different talking to someone who is really vulnerable, but, you know, especially they might mentally be all there. Mm. They just can't, you know, they can't live on their own anymore. And it gives you, and talking to them is like the best experience ever. Like it gives you this insight into their life and we are all going to end up there. Like we can't help it. (laughs) We're all going to end up there one day and you, you, you do realize like these people are not people who have spent their whole life in a nursing home or something like they're, they're, they've had a life and they've had a family and they've grown up and they've had a career of their own. A lot of the time, really successful careers. And, and the, th- the thought of, you know, how people kind of look at them in society today, like, like the elderly it's quite shocking when you go, hang on, but that's going to be us one day. And mm. everyone just ends up like that. And,
1: on that it teaches you to to get to know someone and understand someone that you have nothing no knowledge about like you go in there you don't know anything about this whoever the old person is yeah but for you to be able to provide them care and enjoy giving them care you really need to to get on their level and understand them and you don't have to agree with them but you just need to 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 learn a bit about them
2: yeah and you know yeah like i said they're way smarter than us like we have been around for like 90 years we've had like 25 years experience we've got nothing like I love they that, know a lot more about the world yeah
0: on, on that experience that you got say that that part-time job was that, ooh, is that uh something that is assumed of nursing students or is that something that you kind of you you were doing something that's above and beyond kind of the, the standard approach um,
2: I don't think it's assumed. I do think most people get get part-time work in that and it does really help it not so much in that it's going to give you contacts, but it really helps in you know, it looks good on your resume really as well. Like it's if you're able to go in and provide those basic nursing skills, so you know helping someone get dressed, helping someone wash someone, look after someone like that there they're the basic nursing skills that you're going to use no matter where you work everywhere. And um, so it does show that you've got them down pat and
0: yeah. Yeah. That, that was going to be my next question in terms of what does it take to make yourself stand out as a candidate to go into it, you know, a nursing um, kind of, you know, the, the program you spoke about in terms of that ballot yeah. and, and whatnot, like we've spoken to a lot of people in, in kind of white collar corporate jobs and we understand what it takes to get yeah. into a grad <laughs> program there, but like what sets someone apart on a piece of paper and then in an interview yeah. at a hospital?
2: Yeah. So I think it's more, it is very much about the work you do. Like a lot of jobs I know are very much about who, you know, and that helps you get in and it to a certain extent that can help in nursing midwifery, but not really like they kind of look at, so if you've done any volunteer work, um, if you've, you know, what if you've done any extra papers and then a lot of it is on the interview actually as well. So in the interview you can really show that you've got, you know, those people skills that you can communicate well and that you can empathise with people. And, um, and also in the interviews, they're quite in depth The interviews. Um, for nursing midwifery, you often have a scenario as well, like an emergency scenario that you need to run through and showing that you've got that knowledge and that you've done the work to get that knowledge and that in an emergency, you don't need to go, oh, hang on, I need to go check the protocol or something that you know what you're doing and you can stay calm. Um, a kind of, they're the main things that are going to help.
0: Yeah. What was the prep like for that interview? And, and the reason why I ask is we were actually speaking to someone yesterday who was like people will put in hours into their resume yeah. or their cover letter or whatever and then spend five minutes prepping for the interview. But particularly in health from, from the sounds of things, like if you're throwing a scenario, it's like you better <laughs> well have practiced that. Like what, what, what did your... Yeah. Prep look like?
2: Um, so it was a lot. So basically, a lot of fourth year was prepping for these emergency scenarios. Um, not only for the interview, like at the end of the day, you've got to know what to do Mm. in an emergency because it's It's gonna happen. It is a life
1: or death situation. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. So um incidentally, you prep for those scenarios anyway, um, at uni, and then going through them so we, you know, would meet up with uni friends and in a group and, and go through those scenarios and make sure that we knew what to do. Um, I had the great thing with a lot of medical stuff is there's, there's a protocol and you start here and if this happens, you just follow the path. So I had, you know, my boyfriend who has nothing to do with anything medical at all, but he could just read it off a piece of paper and make sure that I knew that knew what I was talking about and that I was saying the right things and knew what to do. Um, So it was really quite intensive. Like I, I practiced those scenarios and the main scenarios and read lots and watched lots of videos for months to prepare for the interviews. Um, The cover letter wasn't as important to me, but it was really important to get an interview. So, um, so I did, I mean, I say it wasn't as important, but I was quite lucky. I think I had, I did get the help of someone who, who interviews um, students. So I, I got her to help me write my cover letter and it was that was very helpful. Um, and also we all sent each other each other's cover letters so that you can read what other people have gone and go, oh, I like the way they worded that and things like that, I think was really good. I feel like a lot of nurses and midwives were very supportive of helping each other get there.
0: Mads, there's a, I've got a question about more of the industry and I might be completely wrong in terms of how you can yeah. approach people. But something that I found when we were doing our cover letters and stuff at uni, it's that, you know, you can sit down with your mates but it kind of gets to a point where it could be the blind leading the blind yeah. almost and it's like, oh, that sounds great. But, you know, we all think yeah. it sounds great but it's not actually. And it really, um, my thinking on that really changed when I started reaching out to junior people in the industry and be like, hey, can I yeah. do half-hour inter- interview prep with you because you've actually just been through the real thing. Is that something that would be received well, say, for example, if someone was to, if a student was to reach out to maybe not you, because we might (laughs) get hundreds of people going your way, but um, is that something that would be received from a junior kind of nurse in terms of people asking questions like that?
2: hundred percent that would be. So I emailed, so I was quite lucky in this sense. I knew a lot of people who were kind of the year above me. So we're in their graduate. Yeah. I, I, um, because I had stayed back for you once I did my gap year. Um, so where I emailed a lot of my friends in the year above who were at, doing graduate years at hospitals that I really liked the look of and said, Hey, do you mind if you just like give me a bit of a hand with my cover letter? A lot most of them just sent me their cover letters as well. Um, and you kind of can take bits that you like, and they're obviously cover letters that got them an interview at that hospital. So Obviously, you can't copy them or do anything like that. Like your my experiences were very different to the experiences that they'd had, but just in terms of like the layout and um, and the areas of the education that they focus on, um, uh, most most hospitals only want a one page cover letter, so you've got to be very good at keeping everything very concise.
0: <laughs> what if you can throw your mind back? Like, what were some things that you spoke about in your cover letter, or made sure that were in your resume, or you spoke about at interviews?
2: Yeah, so. Um, a lot of it was, so I think I spoke quite a bit about my experience. So I did like a volunteering trip to Africa when I was a student. So I spoke about that, but I also spoke about, um, kind of the, how I wanted to be a midwife, like what values I wanted to bring to that hospital and to that job and, um, what I wanted to, you know, bring to my own personal kind of style of midwifery. Um, and I mean, it worked. I got interviews in with, for everywhere I applied. So um, I think for me, that's what worked.
1: I think um, more generally that I like the fact that you say you brought your own personal style to it. I think um, people sometimes fall foul of leaving that at the door or not including that personal style in these cover letters. And I think they're, they're really missing a trick there because when, when these businesses or hospitals or whoever it might be, go to employ someone, they want to employ a person, not, not a robot.
2: Yeah, exactly. And yeah. So it's very, especially given that's like what hospitals are looking for, when we do all come from a very similar, like we all do the placements, we all, a lot of us do those um, kind of PSA jobs, Um, it is what makes you stand out is saying, hang on, this is who I am, this is, I'm a person that's going to be helping to look after people, Um, yeah.
0: When you were considering uh, really any time um, since you were kind of a kid, was there anything that you consumed in, you know, the media or a book or a movie or a podcast or anything like that, that kind of gave you a really good insight into what working in the medical field was like or that you uh, were inspired by?
2: Yeah. So um, I was really lucky. Both my parents and my dad both work in the medical industry. So my dad's a doctor and my mum's a nurse. Um, so seeing them, we used to, when we were little kids, go in on Christmas morning with dad to hospital and like see all the patients. So I kind of just through growing up like that, always knew that's what I wanted to do. Like I loved being there and talking to all these people who you wouldn't get to meet normally. Like the the best thing about our public system, you'll be talking to someone who's grown up in Southeast Melbourne one day and then someone who's grown up in Sudan the other, the next day and it's awesome. So I kind of, that's what drew me into the medical profession. Like I never knew, I can't think of another career that I knew of that I could be exposed to that many different types of people. Um, and I did, like I said, I didn't really know what was mid with like what I had, what a midwife was, but then talking like all our moms have had babies, all our grandmas have had babies. So as soon as I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool and started talking to people, about it. Like everyone has a story and it's amazing. It's like, it's really weird. It's like you tap into this world that you didn't know existed um, before. And, you know, you ask any woman who's had a baby, you know, what, what it was like and 99% of them will go on for 45 minutes about their experience. And it's just really cool listening to how every experience is so different. Yeah.
1: Mads, what, what advice do you have for uh, students who are thinking about doing, doing midwifery?
2: Um. So I would say, you know, just go for it. Work really hard and make sure that you know your basics. Um, I used to say to myself, you know, I don't want to be stuck in a room one day and because I didn't read this piece of paper or try hard on this assignment, I don't know how to take care of a patient. Um, so that was kind of a good scare motivation for me <laughs> to actually work hard at uni. Um, but also go into it remembering that, you know, it's not, It's not about us. It's about us being able to care for other people. But at the same time as that, you've got to really be careful of not getting fatigued. So then learning to leave your job at work um, and being really caring and giving everything to other people at work. And then when you get home, you know, having a little bit of self-care routine and learning to look after yourself as well.
0: I think that's super important, and maybe just one last thing to to leave on because you touched on it before in terms of the gap year. Like, is there any, yeah. I guess, words of wisdom to to kids in you know at any stage in school or, or or uni, um, in terms of having a bit of, uh, like you can reflect on your progress and whatever, but it's important to also take a break and go and go and ex- experience different cultures and experience you know outside of your Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane or wherever you are bubble. Is there anything yeah. uh, there?
2: Yeah, like definitely I recommend like having a year off was like the best thing ever and it actually made me such a better midwife. Like I did so I traveled for six months of that and three months I did with friends, which was great. Like fun, it's like something that I can say I've done and I've had those years. But three months I did on my own. And I think that was like for me it was a real turning point from when I feel like I was like a kid to actually growing up. Like you like I had to meet someone at breakfast. Who I had no idea who they were from. They could have been from another country. They any background, and you just start chatting, and you learn to make friends with people who who you have absolutely no nothing in context or in common with. Kind of like talking to old people in <laughs> nursing homes. Like, <laughs> like you just like talking to people who you who were from a completely different world to what you're from. I think is is was the. Your skills that I got out of that gap year, and um, I, I use it every single day when I talk to people. Because you walk into a room with a patient, and they're from you could have nothing with them, but you got to spend eight hours with them, supporting them through one of the toughest days of, and best days of their life. Mm. So, yeah, you got to really be able to be able to talk to people and get on common ground with them really quickly. Like it can't take you a long time. Like you got to be able to get common ground with them in the first few five minutes. So.
0: Oh, could yeah. not agree more. And Sarge <laughs> and I speak about that a lot. And that that's something I got out of my travels. And I, I read this post, I can't remember where it was, or somewhere the other day, and it was like, um, you know, next time you hear someone speaking broken English in, in your town, it's a reminder, they also speak another language quite well. And uh, that really rang home to me because I remember being in other cities and it's like, I couldn't speak a word (laughs) of what they were saying (laughs) and you're completely (laughs) lost, but you you know, you find your way around. And and it sounds like if you're in a hospital ward trying to speak with someone who might not speak perfectly English, it's like, well, Because you've travelled, you've got an appreciation. It's like, well, they've got this whole other background that, yeah, that you exactly. don't you don't have an idea about. So, yeah, um, no, couldn't agree more. Uh, yeah, and I think that's a that's a great place to leave it, and, and quite an inspiring one as well. You you, you certainly um, bring a lot of good to this world in, in what you're doing. So, um, that, it's really nice to hear. And thanks for coming on and sharing the story with us.
2: Thanks so much for having me, guys.
1: Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a profession you would like to know more about, a question you would like us to ask, or a story you would like to tell, please reach out to us on the social channels at either the Young Professionals Podcast, TYPPAU, or our personal profiles. We'd love to hear from you. you.